And just as the smoke went into the presence of God, even so the prayers of the believers go into the presence of God. And as this incense was burned with the fire taken from the bronze altar, so it says that one may not approach God if he doesn't have the sacrifice with him. In today's study of the tabernacle, we're going to cover a very interesting point. The coal which is taken from the brazen altar and put on the altar of incense asks you this question. Where is your sacrifice? Where is your blood covering? Sin was always covered by blood, as the Levitical laws so clearly demonstrate. Today, a believer in Yeshua's completed work can say that He is the blood sacrifice shed on our account, and He is the covering of our sin. Do you have the blood of Messiah covering your sins? Did not Peter say in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This is the way the altar of incense worked in the tabernacle. The coal that was first placed on the altar of incense came from the brazen altar which already had the blood of the sacrifice on it. If our sacrifices are to reach God and our prayers are like incense, we need to ask ourselves, where is the blood? Welcome to Shalom Ariel and to our continuing lessons on the tabernacle in the book of Exodus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. Be blessed as you listen in. Shalom. So today we're continuing our walk through the tabernacle of God. Details are given concerning its building that we may not at first perceive its relevance. In fact, when you read through it, you might stop and say, why are we given so many details? And so we tend to just skim through the passage. In fact, the segment of Exodus 25 to Exodus 40 happens to be one of the least read and studied portions of the Bible because it is complicated and not easy to figure with all the various components that are presented to us. But there is something wonderful about this passage because the more you read it, the more you read and reread it, the more it becomes relevant and little by little great truths emerge from it. And here one more time we realize that it is those difficult passages in the Bible that contain great truths and through whom we are greatly blessed. The starting point of course is to realize that this is the word of God. That he inspired every single word and every single word contained in there has their message, they have their relevance. And it is through hard work and faith that one would finally realize its depth. And so we have seen that the tabernacle and the temple of Solomon as well were designed according to the pattern of the things in heaven. And studying those passages, we somehow found ourselves in the same position as Isaiah or Ezekiel when they were carried to heaven to have that glimpse of this wonderful place. Reading this account, especially that of Ezekiel, we can see that the prophets could hardly understand what they were seeing, but that they nevertheless, they were in awe of that place. Even Paul, when carried in heaven, if you remember, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 to 3, he says that he heard an expressible words, which is not lawful for men even to utter. And today, by the words that we're going to find in Exodus 25 to 40, we're going to have a similar, a somehow similar vision. No, we're not going to see these humongous and great angels walking around that Ezekiel did. 
We're not going to hear these inexpressible words, but it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit of God will bring us to see wonderful things from His Word. After all, this is the description according to a pattern of the place that we'll be spending eternity very soon. The last time we considered the tabernacle, we looked at the outer curtain and how the tabernacle appeared from the outside. While many do not agree of the nature of the outer material, they all agree that it was not an attractive material. So when you walk by and you see the tabernacle, not a nice place. And right at the beginning, one realizes that the beauty of it is the inside. This tabernacle typified Yeshua when he was on earth. The beauty was beyond what the eye could see. Of course, when speaking of the tabernacle of Moses, we also speak of the temple of Solomon. But here, comparing the both, there is a big difference between them. The difference is in the way they both appeared from the outside. The reason, I believe, is that the tabernacle of Moses foreshadowed the first coming of Yeshua. And the temple of Solomon foreshadowed the second coming of the Messiah. But both basically give us a very similar description of the inside. Today, both of these were destroyed. And that brings us, of course, to consider the temple that we have in heaven, as the book of Hebrews actually explains to us. So moving in the insides of the tabernacle, altogether then one realizes that there were three separations. In fact, in the Jerusalem temple, the separation was even more marked. It had actually five vast areas in there. First, you had the courts of the Gentiles. Gentiles could not get in this area. You had another fence in there. In fact, there was a plaque at the time of Jesus that any Gentile will enter will be killed. And then there was also the courts of the woman. Any Israelite may come in entered by the beautiful gate of the temple. This is how they would enter. Then they had the court of the Israelites. And then the courts of the priests. This is the inner courts. And then the holy of holies. And since the court curtains separated Jews and Gentiles, it symbolized that middle wall of partition that separated Jews and Gentiles that has been broken up. This is why... We are together as one now when we come to the Lord. And as for the furniture it contained, there are seven of them. We had the ark. You had the mercy seat, that is the lid on top of the ark. You had the altar of incense, the table of showbread. You had also the lampstand, the laver, and you had the brazen altar where they would make the sacrifice. The last time we looked at the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Today, let's start by looking at the altar of incense. So the altar of incense was placed just before the veil that separated the two places. And on it, the priest was to burn the prescribed incense morning and evening. The significance of the altar of incense is that it symbolizes prayer. It symbolizes prayer. The prayer of the people of Israel. That incense symbolizes prayer is seen in Psalm 141.2. When David says, let my prayer be set before you as incense. And just as the smoke went into the presence of God, even so the prayers of the believers go into the presence of God. And as this incense was burned with the fire taken from the bronze altar, so it says that one may not approach God if he doesn't have the sacrifice with him. The call from the altar still asks the same question. Where is your blood when you speak to 
God. Where is your password? For us today, we pray under the name of Yeshua to God the Father. We use the blood of the Lamb. There isn't any other way to enter the presence of God. As Peter says in Acts 4.12, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This is what the altar of incense and the way it is constructed teaches us. You know, in ancient Athens, at the gateway of the famous Parthenon, there stood an altar dedicated to tears. No sacrifices were offered there and no offerings were made. It was simply a place where the remorseful and the brokenhearted could go and bow and weep out their sorrows. While this may have given some psychological relief, it did not touch their basic needs. Today we learn, especially as typified in the altar of incense, that our God is ever ready to listen and to act on our prayers when we pray, of course, under the name of the one that he sent to die for your sins. Today the prayers of the believers are like the incense of the priests as they are carried to the throne of God from the altar where the sacrifices are made. And right next to the altar of incense, we have the lamb stand. There was only one other piece of furniture in the tabernacle besides the lid of the ark that was made solely of gold, namely the lamb stand. It was a seven-branched lamp. The tabernacle, by the way, had no windows. Therefore, the only light in the first room, the holy place, was from this lamp stand. And But the Shekinah glory provided the light in the Holy of Holies. So what does the lampstand represent for us today? The lampstand represents what Israel ought to have been and what it will be. That is a light to the Gentiles. As we see it in Isaiah 42.6, I know, it says, the Lord, I have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nation, as a light to the Gentiles. Today there is a veil over that lampstand. Israel today is not the light to the Gentiles, but it will be later on in the millennium. Who then carries the light of this lampstand? Today we are told that the believer is the light of the world, as he or she reflects the light of Yeshua to others. In Matthew 5.13, speaking to the believers, what did Yeshua said? He said, you are the light of the world. And how was this light sustained? It was sustained by oil. The oil for the lamps reminds us of what? Of the Holy Spirit who has anointed us. Without the oil, there's no light. So this lamp shows that the believer's work has to be sustained by the Spirit of God. First John 2.20 actually says that. He says, but you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit as believers. And you know all things as the Spirit of God will reveal you all these things. And the golden lampstand is as well a picture of the word of God that gives us light as we walk through this world. As Psalm 119.05 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to show you the will of God and what you are to do. Today, as each believer is seen as a light to the world, he is a light so far as he is part of the lampstand, where he is fed by the Holy Spirit. The lampstand also symbolizes what? It symbolizes the congregation of God. It symbolizes the church of God. Remember Revelation 1, as John saw 
he was taken to heaven and he saw seven lampstands. And somebody explained to him, he says, the seven lampstands which you saw are seven churches. And these seven churches were to represent a sample of the churches through history. It represents what we learn is the close tie between the believer and the congregation. He is the light, the congregation is the lampstand. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God through the congregation of God to sanctify the believer. And the particularity of the light was that it burnt perpetually. There is no time in our stay on earth where we are separated from God, where we are separated from the will of God, from doing the work of the Lord. Remember that we are the light of the world and we are the ambassadors for Messiah. So let us use the word of God through the spirit of God to be sanctified and to bless others with the most important message we can give anyone. Don't go away. We'll be right back with the second half of our program coming up just after this message. As we wind up for the second part of our program today, we would like to remind our listeners how blessed and privileged we feel to be part of your radio day. We pray that the messages you hear will instruct you, edify you, and encourage you to love the Lord more and follow Him into obedience in even greater ways. We are all changed by the challenges and transformed by the trials of life. And as we walk them together, we keep looking up to Him who is mighty to break down the walls of Jericho that stand before us and to hand over to us the spiritual victories in life. Yeshua has broken down the greatest barrier, the greatest wall that has separated us from God the Father. Thank you, listeners, for joining us in prayer and in financial support for this ministry. If you have it on your heart to give to this ministry, then you can by logging on to our congregation website at bethariel, B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L, And if God leads you to contribute from the treasures that God has blessed you with, for the continuation of this radio ministry. Shalom, shalom, as we begin part two of today's program. Welcome to Shalom Ariel, a radio teaching and discipleship program geared to reach both the Jewish and Gentile heart with scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Yesterday, we finished off the program by introducing the concept of atonement money and what that expression might be referring to. Today we will learn how the priests themselves were not responsible for their own consecration into temple ministry, that it was God himself through Moses who cleansed them and clothed them. It was Moses who anointed them with the blood from the sacrifice which Moses himself sacrificed and not the priests themselves. What does this mean? That it is God who builds his tabernacle and today it is Yeshua who handpicks his servants to do the work of the body of Messiah. Be blessed as you listen into this last installment on the book of Exodus. If you are interested in purchasing this entire series, call us at the office 1-888-685-5902 or in Montreal 514-685-5902. More contact information will follow after today's program. Shalom. And here we read something quite strange. Something about the atonement money. What does it mean to make atonement for your soul with an amount of money? Did we not just learn that we are atoned only by the blood from the altar? That no man can atone for his soul. I believe that what we are shown here in Exodus is the close relationship between the people of Israel and the tabernacle. 
What is, I believe, meant here is that without providing the means with which the temple would stand, there would be no sacrifices to cover anyone's sins. And so there would not be any continual atonement or covering for their souls. The money there was to cover the expense of the functioning of the temple. God wanted actually commitment from the people. It started in their commitment itself. This tabernacle, as we will see later, was paid for and built by the people of Israel. All the material was voluntarily given by the people of Israel. And here we learn that it is standing by the people of Israel. Later, by the way, this amount of money became known as the temple tax in the time of Jesus, in that each one had to pay a half a shekel that was used to support the sanctuary. What does it mean for us today? Today, this teaches us that believers should monetarily support the work of the Lord. God made it in such a way that his work is sustained mainly by donators. God desired it to be that way. And it could not have been better because through that we can see the level of the commitment of people. Just like our radio ministry is fully founded by donators. The Hebrew Bibles we distribute are also fully founded by people that I believe were touched by the Holy Spirit to give us the money to buy these Bibles to be given. We don't even know who these people are. And those who partake in the giving of this money, I am convinced, are storing up great amount of blessings for them. This is how God designed it. What about the priests themselves? What were their responsibilities? First, they were to burn the incense, the incense on the altar of incense. And while the incense was burned on the altar, within the Holy of Holies, the priests were to offer also sacrifices on the altar outside. Before offering an animal, it was their duty to make sure that the animal was not sick, that it was a good animal fit for offering. Another responsibility for them was to keep the lamp burning so that the seven-branch lampstand would continually burn. And from the temple duties, it was the priest's responsibility, by the way, also to teach the people of Israel. It was their responsibility to bring the word of God to the people of Israel. This is why we see that the priest did not have a territory. They were scattered among the people of Israel so that they can teach them. By the time of Jesus, the Pharisees have taken over the duties of the priests. The priests were the Sadducees. But they were despised by the Pharisees, who were composed of all tribes of Israel. These were, if you want, the Nicolaitans of Revelation. Nicolaitans mean men rules. The Pharisees had taken over the anointed of the Lord. Not that the priests were doing such a good job themselves, but it was decreed by God that it was those of the tribe of Levi that were supposed to bring the word of God to the people of Israel. And it is interesting to see how God anointed these priests. This we will read it through the whole chapter of Exodus 29. We see there that Aaron and his sons did not take any active part in all the anointments. Moses, by the way, did the whole thing for them. We see that God, through the mediator Moses, did everything for them. This is striking, by the way, when you read that passage. You're going to see that by Moses' words, they were chosen and brought. It was his hands that washed them. Moses washed the priest when he anointed them. It was Moses who anointed them. It was Moses also who brought the offering and made the offering and took the blood and sprinkled it on them. Actually, they did absolutely nothing. What do we learn from that? 
It was to show us that it is God who builds his tabernacle, not men. And in the same way today, Yeshua handpicks his people to build his church, to build his congregation. Who did Moses represent? The mediator to come, the Messiah himself. And as the tabernacle was not ruled by men, but by God, by application, so is the congregation of God today. Any church or congregation, if it is not from God, should see if its leaders have that great connection and relation these priests had with God through Yeshua. The priest did not build the tabernacle. God did through the mediator. What do we hear in Matthew 16, 18? What did Jesus say? I built my ecclesia. I built my congregation. I built my church. As Moses did all things, and as the priest willingly obeyed, so Yeshua built his congregation and his people obey. That is the way God designed the tabernacle, and that is the way he designed the working of a congregation. Let's now look at some of the things the priests were wearing. Let's look at the ephod. The ephod was a sleeveless coat made of the same material as the curtains. It was held together at the shoulder by special clasps. And on each clasp, and this is where it's interesting, on each clasp you had two stones. It was an onyx stone, that is an opaque stone. And what I find beautiful is that the names of the 12 tribes were inscribed in there. So the high priest represented the people. In some sense, the people went into the presence of God because he carried their names. But in all that, of course, all these high priests throughout history were a type of Yeshua himself, who is now sitting at the right hand of God, who also carries the names of the believers. But besides the ephod, there is the brace plate. What did this represent? This is called also the brace plate of judgment. It was to be made of the same thing as the ephod and placed in the center of the ephod. On it were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel with different colors. Here too the names were written. Now the question is, why do we have it written twice? I believe it is to emphasize the great responsibility the high priest had towards the people of God. The high priest was responsible for the whole of Israel. When the high priest sinned, the whole of Israel paid for it. And that was a tremendous task for a man to carry. Just in the book of Hebrews, the name high priest is mentioned some 16 times to bring our attention to realize that the high priest on earth couldn't do the job. It was too much on earth. But now we have a high priest in heaven who carries our names and brings them to our Lord. The role of the high priest was very important. This surely prepared not only the people for the coming of the Messiah, but he must have prepared the priests themselves for the coming of the Messiah. The high priest himself must have known how difficult it was to do his work. And it is not for nothing that as soon as Yeshua performed the first messianic miracle, what did he tell the person? Don't tell anyone, but show yourself to the priest first, so that he might recognize me, because he had all the information possible to see that Yeshua had come. And furthermore, the names being repeated twice show us how much God cares for each and every one of his own. God sees his people as precious jewels. Each one is beautiful in the eyes of God. And Jesus said, love each other. I give you a new commandment. You have to love each other. So the 12 tribes of Israel were very dear to God. In fact, they were represented in the tabernacle in three ways. 
the stones on the shoulder, the stone on the breastplate, and also on the twelve breads on the table of showbread. And besides the ephod and the breastplate, we find a mysterious object, the urim and the tumim. The Hebrew urim and tumim means light and perfection. Both words are in plural. The urim and tumim was used to determine God's will. They would go to the high priest and they would ask him a question. We don't know how it works. It's possible that one stone will light to say yes, or it wouldn't do anything to say no. What could it represent? if not the word of God. No, your Bible will not light up when you open it. Nor is the book uh, considered a magical book, right? It's a book through which God speaks to you as you open your mind to it. It could also be called Urim and Tumim, as it means light and perfection. And what I found very interesting is that this Urim and Tumim seems to have been present through the history of Israel. In fact, we hear of them in the book of Ezra and also in the book of Nehemiah. And what is significant is that these things were not mentioned by the prophets, nor were they mentioned by David, for example. You know, we tend to be attracted by what is mysterious, attracted to what is outside the ordinary. But men of God were not. Men of God were only attracted by what is written in the scriptures. David never mentioned the Urim and Tumim. He knew the will of the Lord through prayer and through the study of the word. Read Psalm 119 and you see his love of the word, how deep it is. And one more thing we have to look concerning the garment of the priest. On the turban held by a lace of blue was a golden plate that said holiness to the Lord. It was called the holy crown. What we see here is another emphasis on the fact that God wanted his people to be holy. This, this is one of God's attributes that we are reminded over and over through the scriptures. In a sense, we're all priests, right? In a sense, we are all carrying the name of Yeshua on our forehead when we say that we are believers. And there's one last thing concerning the garments. Did you know that God required that blood will be sprinkled on the high priest's garments and oil will be sprinkled as nice as it was because we see it here very nice but imagine it full of blood this is a stern reminder of the presence of sin itself the lion of judah is portrayed in the beautiful clothes and the slain lamb in the blood the priests both demonstrated the yeshua as the lamb and also Yeshua as king. And remember, in the Day of Atonement, when the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to take off of his garments and wear only a white linen cloth. Just like when Jesus took out all his divinity in a sense, all his, because he was a king in heaven, and he went and he died for the sins of everyone. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. 
If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.